You may be seated. reading from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. I invite you to stand. Return to the Lord with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. The Lord is gracious, full of mercy. The gospel heard in Christian communities around the world this day is from the gospel according to St. John, the 13th chapter. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than the master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in God's self, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. For many of us, tonight has already been a rich learning experience. Under the leadership of Rabbi Bruce Cadden, the Seder meal became a real teachable moment, I think, for all of us who were gathered. And for me, certainly, it led me into a deeper appreciation, a deeper awareness of the love and the justice of God for all people in all times and places. That meal's origin, as you know, is in the exodus of Jewish slaves from Egypt. In the story we recalled, God saw the grave injustices that were being done, the daily suffering of the people, and God said, I will free you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, and I will call you my own. And then in the process of keeping those promises, God gave commands that included detailed instructions of what to do before, during, and after the time that they were liberated. Looking back, I think it's clear that that was one of those great teachable moments in the whole story of God's relationship with people of Israel. They were not only being liberated, they were being taught a way of life a way of life that would guide them, that would sustain them in all of the years to come. And at its center, it was a way of life that was built on trust. In spite of all of their fears, in spite of all of their previous experience with oppression, the Israelites were taught to trust in the power of God to deliver them. And that had to be a lot harder than we imagine. After all, Pharaoh had proven his dominance on many, many occasions, and there was no reason to believe that he would soften his stance now. It was really audacious to think or believe that God would prevail against that kind of brutal force. But that's what the people were commanded to do. They were commanded to act in hope rather than in fear, and to put their complete trust in God to deliver them. And when they obeyed, they learned another very important lesson. They learned that doing what God commands is the pathway to life and the pathway to freedom. For Christians who gather around the world on this night, the New Testament stories that we hear point us to two great teachable moments in the narrative of Jesus' life among us. The first one that we heard comes as a witness from St. Paul, who inherited the story of what Jesus said and did on the eve of his own passage through death into life. This time it wasn't Pharaoh who held power in a ruthless way, it was 
a Roman emperor named Caesar, and a host of political and religious leaders who obeyed him. The ones who had stood up to Caesar and to his puppet king in Jerusalem had either been relieved of their posts or simply put to death. So the question, I think, for those who followed Jesus was, what would he do when he came to that citadel of power in Jerusalem? Would he fight? Would he run? Would he acquiesce? Would he conform as they had done to save their own lives in many ways? To their surprise, Jesus chose a path that was completely different from all of those options. But it should have been one that was very familiar to them out of their deep memory. Through his words and through his actions on that night, Jesus said, I choose to put my trust in God. If I were to paraphrase further what he said to his followers, it would be, I will not live in fear of what others will do to me if I stand for God's justice. Instead, I will give my whole self in obedience to God's call, trusting that God will be there to deliver me, even from the power of death. So I give my body and my blood in fearless love for you, because that is the pathway to life and to freedom. And then in the wideness of that teachable moment, Jesus did what God had done so many times in the past. He gave them a commandment. And it was a commandment that could become a way of life, a way of life that could be learned and repeated from one generation to the next. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said to them. When I hear that tonight, I want to go deeper and ask, what did Jesus really mean by those words, do this? As a minister of the word in sacrament, my first thoughts, of course, take me to the practice of sharing the body and the blood of Christ at weekly worship, at special gatherings throughout the year, at places where we share those gifts with people who can't be here to gather with us in the gathered community. That's part, I think, of what we do to keep the commandment of doing this. When we do that, as Christ commanded, in sanctuaries, in hospitals, in care centers, around kitchen tables, across time, across space, from one generation to the next, we are constantly renewed. We're constantly nourished by the gifts of love and grace that are given to us in Jesus Christ. And we're constantly renewed in our desire to live in that way, to live in thanksgiving, to live in praise. But I'm wondering what else Jesus might have meant in this command. Could do this mean more than sharing the Lord's Supper at many times throughout the year? I thought about that in a broader way when I remembered who was fed at the table that night. We know from the gospel story we just heard that Judas had plans to betray Jesus. 
Yet, as far as we know, he was welcomed to the table along with all of the other disciples. Could it be then that Jesus' command to love your enemies is included in the words, do this in remembrance of me? We also know that Peter was welcome at the table, knowing of his cowardly denial. Could it be that Jesus is calling us to treat people in the way that he treated Peter that evening, calling us to freely love and to forgive in all of our human relationships? Could it be that he's teaching us that love and forgiveness are in fact part of that pathway to life and freedom in every time and in every place when we do this in remembrance of him? If so, that command is inseparable from the one that Jesus gave when he knelt down and washed the feet of his followers. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another, Jesus said. In the world that he lived in, people commonly washed their own feet even when they came to someone else's home. Water would be put there for them so they could do that. Or in some cases, if there was a slave in the household, the slave was given the job of washing the feet of the guests. But it was understood that no free person would stoop down and wash the feet of another free person. That's not the way things worked. But Jesus ignored all of that when he himself stooped down and washed the feet of his followers. It was risky, of course, for Jesus to do this. How could he anticipate or know that they would ever do the same thing for others? How could he have known that they would ever break free from the old ways of structuring their lives and their relationships and begin to live as he did in this kind of humble love with one another? In essence, that's the risk that God still takes with every one of us. We come here tonight to receive freely these gifts of God's love and grace. And we hear these commands through the scripture tonight. But there's no guarantee that we will truly learn what they mean or that we will practice them in daily life. If anything, there's a strong chance, I think, that we'll be pulled in the other direction. There's the chance that we will be gripped by fear in the way that an alarming number of people are gripped by fear in our country and in the world today. There's the chance that this will govern how we respond to violence and terror, how we relate to people who are different. As things grow tense in our local and global political world, there's the chance that we will become more closed than open, more judgmental than forgiving more suspicious than trusting. There's the chance that we will hear the call to love our enemies and do the exact opposite, or completely ignore the call to live as humble servants. That's the risk that Jesus took with his followers. And I think that's the risk he is still willing to take with every one of us. At this table, once again, he says, I give my body and my blood in fearless love 
for you because that is the pathway to life and to freedom for all of God's people. It is another teachable moment tonight, to be sure. But first and foremost, like all of those times in the past, it is a loving act of God that meets us in our place of deepest need, given freely, openly, unconditionally, And like the Israelites who danced on the shores of the Red Sea and the disciples who extended open hands to receive, we can only, too, say from the depths of our heart tonight as we come to this table, thanks be to God. Amen.